Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 335, uh, featuring my good friend Jean-Michel Blotier, founder of the Real Time Conference, and a really interesting guy who's got a very interesting past, right, Kristen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a great story, uh, just in his home of France, starting off, just editing mm-hmm. uh, gaming magazines uh, to producing TV shows. Um, and then he moved on to the CG and animation conferences. And I think he said he was referred to as Mr. FMX at one point. So, mm-hmm. um, And now he runs the real-time conference. Um, and even though it started during the pandemic, it was like... extremely successful Um, and it was a cool story of him setting up the real-time conference just from like googling the domain name and the investors and choosing locations Um, so yeah and then he talks a bit about what's coming up in November the rise of the metaverse uh, populating the metaverse so it was just great yeah, yeah. Great talk. It, it was cool. Uh, Jean Michel and I have been, you know, have known each other for a long time. He was, you know, he was uh, uh, heading up uh, FMX back in the day, and so I, you know, when I used to go to FMX, I used to chat with him a, a lot. In fact, he he, you know, uh, asked me to be on several panels and do several talks there. So it's really great to talk to him about that kind of stuff. Uh, and now, obviously, like you said, he does the real time conference, which was. Funny, like I would, that was the last, con- I had a flight and hotel and everything booked for New York and just as the pandemic hit. And that was the first time that happened. And we didn't, I didn't really know if it was going to, you know, succeed because it was just like, a, well, I guess we're just going to real, t- you know, to do it online and it turned out to be a huge success. And so they came back, came back again in April. He did it again this, this time and it was even better. So uh, there is going to be one more, uh, one more of these events he's doing in November, like you mentioned, and I'm going to be heading up one of the panels uh, on that. I think I'm going to be talking about uh, the role of NFTs in the, uh, in the metaverse, which I think I'm very excited to talk about, but we'll see. Yeah. So Jean-Michel has a colorful past. He's a colorful person and a very charismatic person. So it was great to have him on finally, finally, after all these years to have him on the CG garage. Uh, Great. So we have a couple of events going on, Kristen, what's happening in our event? events section. Yeah, so you can find these out at chaos.com slash events. The first one is on July 29th. It will be a tool farm, um, and it's going to be Viri for Cinema 4D webinar. Um, you can just discover what's new there. And then on August 5th, uh, Arculime Academy is going to be doing materiality in V-Ray for SketchUp, and that will be a webinar. So you can learn everything you ever wanted to know about V-Ray 5 for SketchUp's virtual textures and advanced materiality techniques. Um, And then our big one is on September 9th and 10th. It's our 24 Hours of Chaos. So 24 hours around the globe. um, And it will be 12 back-to-back shows, more than 60 hosts, speakers, and guests, um, all in a 24-hour live stream. And you can find out more about that at chaos.com slash 24 hours HRS. Right. That's right. right. So chaos.com slash 24, the number is 24HRS, right? So mm-hmm. go check that out. So uh, love to see you guys there and do that. We did it last year and I got to tell you, it was a blast. I love 24 Hours of Chaos. Uh, I can't believe I stayed up for most of it. I might have fallen asleep at my chair a couple of times, but it was really a lot of fun and I, I highly recommend it because you get to really see people from all around the globe and you, it's kind of, there's a great movie by Jim Jarmusch called Night on Earth, which is about cap, taxi cab drivers around the globe at night. Ooh. And it, this is kind of what it feels like, but it's uh, it's about Chaos Group instead. But anyway, <laughs> uh, cool, cool, check it out. So all of these things can be found at chaos.com slash event. Now in terms of products, what do we have going on, Kristen? 
All right. And these can find, be found at chaos.com. Uh, V-Ray 5 for Revit Update 1 is now available. And then we've talked about these, V-Ray 5 for Cinema 4D and V-Ray 5 for Maya and Houdini Update 1s are all available as well. Perfect. So those are all uh, all out there. I also want to remind people that Vantage, which is, you know, speaking of the real-time conference, Vantage has also been updated to 1.3 not long ago. And you guys should check it out. There's lots of new features there. But uh, V-Ray 5 update ones for Revit, SketchUp, no, sorry, Revit, uh, Cinema 4D, Houdini, and Maya have all been out there. So go check those out uh, at all at chaos.com. Now, if people want to find out more about the podcast, where can they go, Kristen? You can go to facebook.com slash cggaragepodcast or chaos.com slash cggarage. Or if you'd like to watch us, go to youtube.com slash chaosgrouptv. Perfect. And if you guys have any ideas or you would like to ask more questions or you know, or give us some feedback, please let us know. The email is labs at chaosgroup.com. Again, that's labs at chaosgroup.com. And we'd always appreciate a, a writing, a review, and a sharing on Apple Podcasts. So if you do that, we would love to see that. All right. But that being said, please enjoy this podcast with Mr. Jean-Michel Bautier. Welcome to another CG Garage, where the chaos group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. Well, listen, Jean-Michel, we've known each other for many years now, uh, and we've done several fun things together, uh, but I think we've never actually had the opportunity to get you in front of the podcast and tell, tell everyone a little bit about your backstory and how you've got, gotten to get excited about all these things, including what we're doing now in the real-time conference. So it'd be nice to know a little bit about your history and that let us know, you know, where, where where did this all start? Where did your interest in computer graphics come from? Okay, so um, first of all, I'd like to understand how long we have for the whole. We have one hour, podcast. about approximately we one hour. One hour, okay, yeah. perfect. So I can time because you know my life, <laughs> my, <laughs> being French, my tech time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so to make a long story short, I, I, I was uh, not at all interested in these topics when I was a student. Uh, hmm. I was uh, I was on a complete different trajectory, uh, which was mostly as for some of us coming from my mom's choice. And since I was a goodwill boy, I was following mom's advice and trying to okay. please her as much as can be. So she mm -hmm. was, um, my, my, my studies were around very classical studies. So I was supposed to become a university professor specialized in ancient Latin, ancient Greek, ancient French, ancient mm -hmm. Uh, whatever you name it. And mm -hmm. so I was preparing this school called École Normale Supérieure de la Rue d'Ulm, which was the highest uh, school possible in this, uh, in this area. And, uh, and in the meantime, I was playing video games. Uh, it was in 1980. Uh, and uh, in the 80s, video games were starting to get popular. And my girlfriend at the time uh, had a couple of friends who were also students, and we, uh, all of them were 
passionate about games. So I started to play video games. Uh, I had a VCS Atari 2600 and I started to play video games. And at the, at the time, it was really fascinating to interact with an image on the, on the, we don't remember this necessarily, but it was a kind of a miracle, the possibility to mm-hmm. move people, uh, move things on the screen. And um, my father was the editor-in-chief of a TV guide magazine in France. And uh, I talked to him about games and I mentioned the fact that it would make sense for a TV guide, a weekly TV guide, to have a story about uh, video games uh, every week. And he said, that would be interesting. Who could do that? And I said, well, I have a few friends and myself, we play games. Maybe we can try to do something. So we start doing this story every week in this, uh, in this TV guide. And uh, the CEO of the company uh, looked at this and said, well, maybe it would make sense to create a magazine about video games. And there were no magazine in the world. The only one, there were one magazine called Electronic Games, uh, which was published in the US, and that was it. So um, one thing leading to another, I happened to join this CEO to a meeting with Electronic Games uh, in the US, and we, we finalized an agreement uh, to have the copyright of the magazine. And here we are uh, about to start a magazine about video games. So on the one hand, I was pursuing my trajectory. And on Mm -hmm. the other hand, I was starting to uh, create a magazine about video games. And you had one hand uh, in the past and one hand in the present or in the future, in a sense, right? In the future. It was really because minus 500 before Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Roughly, this was the time frame. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, to, to try to make this story, long story short, uh, mm-hmm. the magazine kicked, started, was started in September 82. I think I wrote the two thirds of the magazine by myself and of the first one, and it was an immediate success. And uh, suddenly I was propelled into a completely uncharted territory for me, you know, leaving the leaving the, the world of the very classical world, very t- classical trajectory, and taking a completely different uh, road. Uh, and three months later, uh, the TV called, the first channel in France, TF1, the number one, called the CEO. It was we, the, the publishing group had shares of the company. And so, the sorry, the big storm going on, so you might hear the, the, <laughs> okay. the thunder. Uh, and and um, and then the CEO talked to the CEO of the French Channel, and the two of the discussed, "What are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, we are doing this magazine about games. Oh, that would be interesting. Should we make a TV show about games?" And sure. And then it went back, bloom, 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 down the ladder until it reached me, uh, saying, "Hey, Jean-Michel, uh, could you be next week on this?" Uh, uh, stage and and uh, and discuss with these producers about the possibility to create a TV show about games. And since we are talking about 1983, uh, and at the time the graphics were extremely poor, uh, and the idea of this TV show was to bring the viewers into the games. So basically, it was not a TV show which would be testing games. We had no idea that we something like this would happen. It was really about how can we bring some kids 
into the world of, of the game. So we had a big screen, a big TV, like a giant TV, which was a, a few meters long, a few meters width, with a mirror under the, the TV, which was inclined like this, and then a camera on top of this and sending images. So we were sending images in the mirror, which were reflected on the screen, and we we're capturing these images from the top, and we were pixelizing the, some of the kids who were in the audience and uh, taking them into the into the games and we were writing stories so but there were two male uh, hosts and one female host and the female host was captured by the bad uh, guy and she was taken in the pyramids or she was taken uh, on different planets etc and we had to send somebody to rescue her and there were all kind of excerpts of some games and since the quality of games was extremely limited we needed to recreate some images and there were a small small company in france called images integral uh, who was really pioneering this thing and working with uh, very uh, archaic machines creating uh, images like that. On the, on the other hand, at the National Institute of Audiovisual, there were a group of researchers who were also using the machines at night uh, to create computer graphics. And uh, there were a small event ca called uh, Imagina, which was uh, about to start. It was not Imagina yet. It was just an afternoon uh, of a few hours devoted to the new images that were recording it, which were happening at the same time. So this small group of people started to talk to each other. And then we started to produce some images that we could use on the TV, which would be computer graphic generated. And this is how the whole story started. Uh, and what is interesting to me is the fact that from day one, I had one foot in the world of interactivity with the game people on very limited quality of, of images. And I had another foot in the world of computer graphics with people who were not doing real time at all. And you see where I'm leading to in mm -hmm. this uh, word, uh, who were absolutely linear, but with IN um, uh, images. And what mm -hmm. was extremely interesting to me is that these two communities didn't talk to each other. There were the people who yep. were making visual effects and were computer graphics images, and they were the big boys, and they were working with George Lucas, and they were, uh, you know, all kind of stuff. And there were these obscure geeks who were uh, programming strange things on their uh, Amstrad CPC or uh, ZX Sinclair or uh, you know, mm -hmm. Thompson T07 or TI99 uh, from Texas yeah. Instrument. So, and, and it, it really struck me from day one that there were two different communities. And when I was going to Imagina, I was belonging to the computer graphic community. When I was going to what was not yet GDC, because GDC was not invented yet. There were a, mm -hmm. a couple of other events. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, sorry, the tempest is raging here in New York. So they are. <laughs> it's okay. So it's a disaster. Skies are opening um, up. <laughs> and, and, uh, and we, so it, it was really interesting to see that these communities were not talking. And I was, okay, that's maybe something we should do to bring these communities together. And it took me a long, long time to do this. And it's exactly the same idea, which is behind Real Time Conference. So after that, I did other magazines. I did other TV shows. Um, all of them centered on the, these, these communities. 
Uh, I even created a TV channel with uh, Canal Plus for Canal Plus, which mm -hmm. still exists, by the way, which is called Game One, mm -hmm. which was before that called C Colon because it was beyond games. It was again wow. trying to bring together people from the programming side or the more serious aspect of things and the, and the game world. Uh, and then I, uh, since I was the uh, host on television, I was, uh, and I was attending Imagina as a journalist every year. Uh, we wrote stories about Jaron Lanier and the data glove and the data suits in 1985 or something like that. Uh, uh, there were very young men attending this thing like Paul de Bevec or Ken Perlin uh, and uh, giving brilliant talks. Uh, John Lasseter was there, but he was not famous yet. Uh, mm -hmm. I had the pleasure to give him an award at the time. Uh, and um, and since Imagina was uh, looking for a host for to give the award to give this pre-pixelina uh, with Prince Albert, Princess Stephanie in front of 1,500 to 3,000 people in this beautiful auditorium of the Circus of Monte, Monte Carlo or something like that. They reached out and say, hey, Jean-Michel, you are interested in the topic. You're a journalist. You speak more or less English. And, uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, can you, can you do it? So I became the host of this uh, Previxelina. It worked pretty well. So I did that a few years in a row, which put my face, made my face visible. You know, I was on one hand, I was on TV, which was, was giving me some visibility as well, but I was also in front of this specific community. The guy who was hosting every year this pre-pixelina and giving awards, basically giving the physical awards to all kind of uh, of wonderful uh, wonderful people, and um, and at some point, Imagina was looking for a general manager, uh, and they asked me, "Would you be interested?" And I had no idea about event organization because I had been doing TV shows and, and magazines for, for for my whole life, but I was in contact with this thing, so. You know, I took the, when I started as a journalist in video game, there were no magazine about video games. So there yeah, were no training possible. It was just jumping into a, a, a cold water and swim the best I could. Tilt was the, the name of the magazine was Tilt. And it was the first magazine in Europe devoted to video games. At the time, there were yeah. electronic games in the US on, on Tilt in Europe. So I believe I spent a significant time of my life doing things that I didn't have any training for, but it ultimately it worked. I probably know how to learn how to swim pretty fast. And, uh, and then I discovered the organization of conferences and I was fascinated by this. Um, I thought it was a very, very cool job. You know, you spend half of your life going from labs to studios and uh, and, and uh, meeting with all kind of interesting people. This is the rain that you listen, hitting wow. the windows. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a serious business, yes. And, it sounds uh, good, though. I like the sound of the rain. We don't have much in California, so it's nice to hear rain. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> to me, okay, <laughs> It's very cool. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, it's and uh, 
where I don't, I don't, I don't know where I was. We're so, talking about uh, 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 your Tilt magazine. You were doing that, and then the conferences. You were on the, the conferences, and yes, you yes. And I was, I was thinking that organizing conferences was a very, very cool job. You know, you spend so much time meeting with so many interesting people. You can go wherever you were. You can go to. You have access to any laboratory, and uh, and I got really, really interested in what I call uh, creating a moment of collective intelligence, um, bringing bright people together. Some of them know each other, some of them don't, and creating these um, unexpected encounters uh, is something which is really, really fascinating. So I've been running Imagina for a few years. This is how I met Thomas and Renate Hegele, the co-founders of Film Academy on FMX. So Thomas and Renate were coming every year piously to Imagina. And at the time, you know, I was the French guy uh, having dinner with Prince Albert and uh, mm -hmm. Monte Carlo, the Glamorous Conference. Mm -hmm. So, and, uh, and Thomas and Renate were extremely shy, extremely humble, etc. But at some point, we started to talk and we started to become friends and to build this kind of friendship. And at some point, they told me, would you like to come to Stuttgart and visit and see what FMX is? And I went to Stuttgart. I saw Film Academy. I was so impressed. And I, 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 I had been hearing so many good things about FMX uh, before I joined that I, I was interested. And we have pictures of Thomas and I talking and we're bending towards each other, you know, very excited with what we could do and it was yep. exactly the right moment to join FMX because FMX has been had been going on for 10 years um, as a very German event very uh, um, low-key uh, mostly for students etc but with a reputation which was growing up and uh, when I joined the first thing we did was to suppress everything, anything which was in German uh, to transition to English to make sure that it was 100% English. There were no, uh, nothing disrupting the bubble we were creating, the international bubble we are creating, because as soon as you have one talk in German in one room, it's finished. The, the magic is gone. You know, it's like okay. the, this moment of uh, suspension of disbelief when you are uh, attending a play or watching a movie or... You, you want to be completely immersed. So we did that very carefully. And then and what we year was this approximately? What year was this approximately? It what was year in was this 2005. 2005. It, it was okay. in 2005. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in, in, in 2005, there were not a lot of people aware of FMX. They didn't mm -hmm. barely know you where Germany was and Stuttgart never heard of it. And you know, and, mm -hmm. why should I go to Stuttgart? I mean, you don't go to mm -hmm. Stuttgart on the, on the, you know, and um, and so we, we've been really and, and Thomas and Renate used to go to Sigraph and they were going arriving the day before leaving the day after and I told them why don't we come a week before and why don't we stay a week after and we take this opportunity beyond Sigraph and beyond attending the conferences and meeting people at Sigraph why don't we go to the studio and meet with the studios one after another so we build this we did this it's a lot of work and, and which is ne not very noticeable and that's good that it's not noticeable because it, it has to give a feeling that it's easy, but it's a lot of little steps, you know, and, uh, and for each speaker, it's usually uh, probably one day of work to, 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 to get in, identify, get in touch, convince, etc., etc. And at the time, 
people didn't know. So, you know, they were, and after that, they were coming and they were telling me, but Jean-Michel, why didn't you tell me before that such a beautiful event is done? I said, well, I've been trying for a few years, but okay, glad to, glad you, you're here. So mm-hmm. this, this is the, uh, this is FMX and uh, I spent 12 years in Stuttgart, um, with, which were wonderful working with Thomas and Renate and, uh, Patricia Rowe joined and, and Vanessa, Vanessa Steinman, Mario Muller, uh, yeah. really amazing people that I had such a pleasure to, to work with, to discover also the German culture. And it was interesting because Thomas' dad was in Paris during the war as a German soldier, and my grandfather uh, passed away during the war, he was shot by a German soldier. So both mm-hmm. of us were like, okay, we have an, a new story, <laughs> and let's try to mention it a little bit at our very humble level and uh, so right. it was very meaningful uh, to, to have mm. this experience to um, to work with this amazing university which is a film academy and then Thomas left uh, retired uh, his wife Renate followed uh, and I kept going I was the kind of the last flag bearer of the what I would call the historic FMX, I would say, and uh, like a canal historic, you know, the, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, and uh, and then after a couple of years, uh, I thought that it was all right, it was okay. I did what I had to do with FMX. I was pretty proud of what we achieved with FMX, how we positioned the thing. And it was time to move on. It was time to go somewhere else. And again, at FMX, um, it was difficult to bring the game people uh, to FMX uh, because the game people, they go to uh, GDC, they go to E3, they go to DICE Summit, they have their own network of events. The animation people, they go to ANSI, visual effects people, they go to FMX or they go to SIGGRAPH. And mm-hmm. uh, again, it was obvious that there were uh, predominance of, uh, of visual effects com- studios and people at FMX. And uh, of course, a little bit of games, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but not so much. And I was still with this idea that at some point, these different communities would have to talk to each other, would have to converge. And I was still running FMX when I went to uh, GDC in 2017. And I knew uh, FMX was supposed to happen a couple of months after GDC. I knew it was my last FMX, uh, but I didn't want to tell. Uh, you know, it, well, it had to be, you know, I had to, to keep the, to finish the job in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and I only told it to a very, very limited group of people. I told it to Kim Library and Mark Petit, to David Morin, to Dave Gouget, to Eric Kraft. Uh, and uh, and I told them I have an idea of a conference which we call the real-time conference. And uh, the idea really came during GDC. And I remember vividly uh, having this idea. Okay, it, we you know every year at FMX uh, we we had a, a theme. And uh, a couple of years before I left, probably in 2015, uh, we decided to go for the real-time 
as a theme. But it was the theme of one event, and then we were transitioning to another theme and to another theme, you know, blending worlds or, or whatever. And, um, and the theme of real time was really, for me, still in my head, because it was the game and the linear, the real time of the linear people, can we bring them together? And real time is exploding. And at the time, Unity and, um, and uh, Unreal were growing. Uh, but it was relatively new, because for, for, for I, would, I was about to say for decades, I went to Unity, I went to Epic, uh, and knocked on the door and say, hey, we have FMX. Why don't you come? Why don't you talk? Why don't? And they were telling me, how many programmers do you have at FMX? Uh, we don't have a lot of programmers at FMX. These are visual artists. You know? Ah, we are not interested. We are interested in computer, in video games programmers. If you don't have that, thank you, Jean-Michel. We like you, but uh -uh, not yet. And then at some point, Epic hired Kim Library, Epic started to hire different people, and suddenly coming from Autodesk, coming from this organization which were familiar with these uh, other industries and games, and things have been changing. So anyway, I was at the GDC and really the light came to me uh, because I was also in the middle of a, of a crisis, you know, I was I knew that it was my last FMX, and FMX was my baby. It was something that I'd been so much contributed to. You know, I was proudly bearing this FMX bag. I was, uh, Thomas Segele was calling me Mr. FMX. You know, it was just like, in a way, and for Thomas, it was very clear that he wanted to give me the, the event and to give me, to, to, to push me in the front. And, and it was perfect for him because he's shy, he hates the light. And being French, I love the light. Uh, so <laughs> uh, so the, the, it was a, a deal which worked very well for a while. So when I, when I understood that I had to leave, basically, and I, it was, you know, just, uh, it, was, it, was, it was not easy. So it was a complex GDC. And suddenly the light came, real-time conference, and uh, I ran on my computer to look for www.realtimeconference.com. Does anyone own this thing? And nobody owned it. So I go to Gandhi or to one of these websites where you can protect the name. And I start mm -hmm. protecting www.realtimeconference.com.org.eu. And that all of this fine. They ask me for my credit card and I start looking for my credit card. And mm -hmm. I left my credit card in my hotel, which was half uh -oh. an hour away from the convention center. So okay. I canceled meetings, rushed to my hotel, and I can tell you it was just, okay, they have, they have engines looking for this. When I arrive too late, they will have protected already this thing. Because right. the, the, yes. the algorithm that you've been searching. Yep. Yep. They seen that I was searching and they, they will protect it and it will be too late. And I arrive at my hotel, I found my credit card, I go back to, I restart the whole process of WWW. Still there, I plug the number, you got it. Got it. Excellent. And then it was just like, <laughs> okay, it was a start. Yeah. It was a real start. And then, uh, and then I, I started uh, from March 2017 until. Uh, April 2020, so you see it's three years, 
I started to look for money, look for, and we had, I had the support of David Morin, the support of Mark Petit, had the support of Kim Lurie, had the support of Eric Roth, had the support of Dave Gouget, had the support of Thomas Amelante Hegele, plus Mike Seymour, plus, 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 you know, plus you, mm-hmm. plus so many people who were telling me, like Ken Perlin, who was telling me, Jean-Michel, you brought me to Monte Carlo, then you told me to go to Stuttgart, Now you just tell me where I should go and I follow. It's easy. Nice. So I was so, so gratified and, and so thankful, you know, for this amazing community. And so mm-hmm. we started to, to meet and to have and to start to build a PowerPoint presentation. And, uh, and at some point we opened a bank account with a hundred dollars on the bank account. Uh, because, you know, it's, uh, do what you can but you right but we are not necessarily extremely rich <laughs> right in this and uh, and uh, and and so uh, and then the project started to to take shape uh, i officially presented it to a big i i officially presented it to a couple of people and i met with an old friend of mine uh, raja koduri And uh, I don't know if you remember Raja, but Raja used to lead the effort of AMD uh, mm-hmm. in creating discrete uh, graphic cards. And uh, Raja is behind a, a lot of uh, top products from, from AMD. And um, Intel uh, hired Raja. Uh, you remember Project Arabi 12, 12 years ago, something mm-hmm. like this, yeah. you know. Every 10, 20, 15 years, Intel steps back and says, what? Uh, we cannot let NVIDIA or uh, AMD uh, lead the race in the field of, uh, of graphic cards. Uh, we have to do something. And they hired Raja, uh, who is in charge of probably 3,000 engineers all over the world to create new generations of, uh, of graphic cards. And I met with Raja at the SciTech Awards Uh, he had a beautiful purple tuxedo or something, you know, very flourishing. And, uh, hey, Raja, how are you doing? I'm doing a joint, I heard you join Intel. Yeah, so that's, uh, I'm very happy with that. And uh, what about you, Jean-Michel? Well, I'm working on the project of a real-time conference. Oh, what is that? And at the time, the concept was an event which would happen simultaneously in different cities. So the event was supposed to happen between Munich, New York, and Paris, three cities, connected to each other with local events in each city, and then expanding to LA, expanding to Mumbai, etc. So Raja, I think, found the idea completely stupid, but uh, extremely interesting. And he, he probably thought, and he told me after that, uh, I think he confessed, uh, I think it's probably during the first real-time conference, that when I met with Jean-Michel, I thought he was crazy and uh, mm-hmm. with his project. But still, he was interested. So he asked me, could you come next week to San Francisco to my office? I said, of course. I went the following week at Intel uh, in Santa Clara. And, uh, and uh, we had half an hour only. So it was very fast. And I was talking too much, as I do right now. Um, and, uh, and at some point, Raja stopped me and said, okay, I, I understand. But now this, I tell you what you should do. If you would like Intel to be interested into your project, mm-hmm. you should talk about creation. You should talk about uh, streaming and you should talk about display. So it's creating, it's sending away and watching. 
And if you cover these three pillars, uh, then Intel would be interested in supporting. So I said, okay, we'll, we'll change the program accordingly. We will shift a little bit. And, in the, you know, and it was coherent as well. It was, it was topic which were really interesting. All the transmission issues are super interesting. Um, and after that, the display thing, it's a little bit more difficult, but with the haptics and everything which is happening, the way we experience these images, obviously it becomes more and more interesting. And, um, and then Raja uh, and I kept talking and at some point I was in contact with marketing directors who were asking me basically, how much money do you need? I said, uh, I, need, I would need a million and said, well, we cannot really give you a million, we can give you half a million. And suddenly the bank account went from $100 mm-hmm. to... And wow. um, <laughs> to the point, by the way, that uh, I was, of course, checking the bank account uh, every half an hour to, to check when the money would arrive. And suddenly I had the pleasure to see the bank account, bing, you know, which goes... And, right. and the following morning, I received this uh, notification from the Bank of America telling me that uh, there were no more money in the bank account, and actually there were minus twenty dollars uh, on the bank account. So I was, mm. what is that? I go to the bank account and I see that there were minus three thousand eighty-eight point eight 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 point eight eight dollars minus in mm. red bold, and it took me a week to get my money back, to understand what will happen. Since the bank account had been at $100 for months, Bank of America thought that it was a mistake, that something was wrong with this arrival of, of this 500000 So they blocked the bank account, putting it in the negative to make sure that I wouldn't be able to use credit card or pay anything. And it took mm. me a week of fuming, screaming, uh, threatening, to get my money back and then everything was back and wow. we were able to we were able to keep going you, you know these are really the stories of entrepreneurs i'm sh- I'm, I'm sure right that anybody who started who, who kick-started a startup yeah. um, we all have stories like that i'm sure yeah and then we had the budget. Uh, Epic uh, helped us significantly as well. Foundry joined us from day one. I was so, so grateful for Jennifer Goldfinch and the Foundry people who were just then. And Jennifer told me, Jean-Michel, we believe in you. So it's okay. Uh, right. Do, do what you have to do. And, and uh, we support. And, uh, and a couple of other, other ones. Uh, plus an army of curators, of speakers, of, you know, good soul, uh, of friends who, who wanted really this project to happen. So we started building the project between New York, Paris and Munich. The idea was mm-hmm. in Munich, we would have the, the automotive industry and the German community would be in Munich. Uh, which is the city which has been competing a lot with Stuttgart and Munich mm-hmm. was not too happy to see that Stuttgart had FMX and Munich didn't have FMX. So it was also mm-hmm. a good opportunity to create something um, in, in Germany with Munich. Uh, mm-hmm. Then there were Paris where we could easily uh, bring the animation community and some part of the game community with Ubisoft and with a, a solid proximity with the UK. So it would be relatively easy to convince uh, English people to cross the channel and to come to Paris for a few days. 
It's not the mm -hmm. worst place in the world. And New York was interesting as well because I live here. Uh, so it was interesting to me to create something. And I was also interested by the fact that there were, there's no serious solid event on the East Coast. Um, and you would think that in Mont Montreal is a super powerful ecosystem, but there's mm -hmm. no solid, not, there's not one event which is big and, and, and at a worldwide level, the same way that a SIGGRAPH or GDC is, or, mm -hmm. or with all due respect, like an FMX for Europe or, or mm -hmm. an NC for, 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 for the world. So I was thinking, doesn't make a lot of sense to try to create something on the West Coast uh, because uh, it's already quite populated, but mm -hmm. having something on the East Coast could make sense. And it's yep. far easier for, for a West Coast person to fly to the East Coast than to fly to Europe. You know, you divide the time of the, the, the of travels by two and uh, you divide the times of the time difference of jet lag by, uh, by three. So that's, uh, that's, that's important. So we started to plan all of this, started to book room to pay upfront, to reserve hotel rooms, to start being, buying flight tickets, and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The first event was supposed to happen beginning of April 2020. Something happened end of March. Uh, you might have heard of it. And, <laughs> and then we had to cancel Munich first. Germany was the first one to, to shut down. Uh, then we were hoping to keep going between Paris and New York uh, because both Parisian and New Yorker, you know, they are above all of this uh, thing. Uh, we are tough New Yorkers and uh, we are mm -hmm. French people. So nothing can, mm -hmm. you know, touch us. But after a while, we had to, 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 to understand that, yes, the, the virus was uh, not respecting the local cultures and mm -hmm. uh, attacking anybody indifferently of what they thought about themselves. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we had to shut down Paris. We tried to regroup everything in New York, and then we had to cancel New York. And then we had to make a decision, do we cancel the whole thing, which other conferences did, uh, saying, okay, we cancel everything, see you next year. Or do we try to do something? And of, obviously, we tried to do something. We changed completely the structure uh, and vision because the original structure was very classical. It was different rooms running in parallel. Uh, with normal session, which would be 45 minutes long, 15 minutes Q&A, and a five-minute break in, in between each session. Uh, and to have 20, roughly 20 rooms between Germany, France, and the U.S. running in parallel. And we had to compress that in one track uh, with uh, much shorter talks with this idea that we would create a live show and it would be a different beast than a traditional conference. That would be a show. That would be a kind of a live TV show where we would take the floor for 12 hours, 14 hours, 16 hours, bringing speakers after speakers, short presentation in the spirit of Ted. My wife works for Ted here in New York, so mm -hmm. I'm very familiar with the way Ted functions. And, um, and I was encouraging speakers and telling them, try to share an idea 
with the community, an idea which is dear to your heart, an idea which is important to you. Uh, regrouping this community by architecture, automotive, uh, uh, virtual production, uh, animation, design, and so on and so forth. And, uh, and we did it. We opened registration one week before the event started. So one week before the, the event started, we had zero registrants. And the minute we opened registration, it started pouring. And we had one new register by one per minute or per two minutes. And at the end of the week, we had 4,000 people who had registered for Real Time Conference. Mm. And everybody was there. We started the first day with a series of talk about architects. And we had 250 people in the room from the first minute. Uh, and then it kept growing, reaching 1,000 people uh, at some point. And so that was the first event in April, but since we were, we had booked 150 speakers for the three locations, uh, Munich, New York, and Paris. And since it was a one track event with only 30, 35 speakers max per day, at the end of the two days, we had uh, 60 or 70 speakers who had been talking and we still had another 75 or 80 speakers. So we decided, okay, let's do another event in the month, months later. So we went back to work immediately. And a month later, we were able to have another event. And in the meantime, an, another group of 70 speakers reached out and saying, hey, real time conference, super interesting. We'd like to be part of Laurent Michel. Can we give a talk, etc., etc." And you don't, you don't ever say no. You always say yes, 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 of course. And, uh, and then we create a third event, which happened in June. So April, May, and June, we had three events in a row, bringing more than 6,500 attendees and roughly uh, 200 speakers, I would say, as a total. And it was a blast. And everybody was, okay, congratulations, real-time conference exists, and, uh, and that's good. And then we took some vacation because we were exhausted. And then we started to kickstart again in September. I got very sick, as you probably know. And mm -hmm. uh, instead of starting beginning of September, we started mid of November, which put us in a very difficult situation because budgets were already gone. You know, usually you start discussing budgets for the following year in the during the summer and in the early fall. And then you start making sure that you secure the budget for the following year and then you get the money usually beginning of the following year and instead of starting this process of looking for budget in the uh, beginning of september we started mid of november and uh, it put us in a, in, a, in a situation which was not too easy but we uh, kept going and we again built a new event which happened in uh, in April, and you participated into this uh, into this event, um, mm -hmm. and uh, and and the goal was to 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 go to st a step further, basically, and uh, to um, be, when we start, when we did the first event, it was in the configuration I am at the moment, which is in my apartment in my office. 
uh, with a green screen behind me, the camera of my computer, a microphone, which is a little bit better, but okay. And that's and with a, a little background with the real-time conference logo. And, uh, and it was okay because it was the first, the first event. And then uh, other events uh, started to uh, look into this virtual uh, organization. And the obvious thing was to have a little stage. So what a lot of them did was to build a little stage with uh, three chairs uh, separated by nine feet and uh, because of COVID with masks and mm -hmm. everything, virtual as well, a mix of Zoom and physical, three cameras, a mixer, and you do what you can. And it's okay, but most of the time it's, it's not at the level of a TV show. And, and mm -hmm. we are extremely, extremely educated in regards of quality of images. And we, we, we are used to have beautiful images, beautiful lighting, beautiful makeup, perfect things everywhere, rhythm, you know, something which goes fast because TV is a special thing. So if you try to bring this model of a, of a traditional conference and to embed it in a, in, a, in a TV studio stage uh, thing, eh, eh, not too sure uh, if, it, if it works so well. And then there were another group of people who were trying to do this fully virtual thing. So virtual reality headsets, and then you have to download a huge, huge program, super heavy on your computer. It takes half of the memory of your computer. It's good. Uh, and then you create your avatar, which is uh, Playmobil-like. So you, know, you, you present yourself with a little Playmobil and you send your Playmobil into a conference. And then you try to understand where you have to go. And, uh, and it's not necessarily uh, too easy. Uh, with sometimes as well this attempt to duplicate a physical auditorium, you know, with the red seats one above the other and, uh, and the screen at the bottom and so on, which is okay. I understand the idea, but it's 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 different. You know, it, it, it's not. We shouldn't try to duplicate. Basically, this mm -hmm. is what I, what what I what I think. And then we were incredibly lucky because we met our good friends at Nance Studios uh, who had this amazing LED stage. And uh, again, uh, it was something which happened really at the last minute of the, of the, of the, in the process. Um, and we were extremely privileged to have access to Nance Studios. And suddenly it was something different because we were talking about real time using real-time tools and, and we're discussing topics while using the topics uh, themselves. So mm -hmm. that was very, very powerful, very powerful experience. And I hope uh, it propelled real-time conference to another level. And yes, uh, it did. We, take, we, we take it from, we take it from there now and, uh, and we'll see what we, what we can do uh, for the upcoming events, which is mid of November, as you know. Yes, yes. So this is really great. I mean, I I I did have the privilege of attending the the uh, uh, and attending and participating in the real time conference. I was very excited. I think the the first one, which as you mentioned was uh, supposed to be April of last year, when it, the physical one, that was. I had my plane ticket and my hotel for that <laughs> for that conference. So I was very 
It was very sad when we had to, you know, well, you know, it was a situation in the world we had to accept the situation that it was, right? It was uh, so, uh, but it was really great that you, in such a short period of time, you were able to salvage it and somehow make it more interesting. Uh, and I thought, you know, you had a very interesting attitude about it. It's like, well, this is the real-time conference after all. We should be able to do this. It doesn't necessarily need a physicality to it in some ways. And I think that's what made it very interesting. And then the second one, like you said, the presence of you on that stage, you know, it felt a lot like a, like a big sporting event or some kind of, you know, you're like you're watching the Olympics and, and, and you know, now we cut back to Jean-Michel. He's going to give you the next, the next great subject that we're going to talk about. And it just felt very, very dynamic. And I think it was kind of, a, it was a really a lot of fun. Um, the, the Also, the other thing that you did at that conference is that you've, uh, you, you did exactly what you said you were going to do when, or what you got interested in at the very, very beginning. All of these communities never really spoke to each other before. And this was the first opportunity for them to do that. Uh, and so that was really kind of a great thing because, you know, as, as you know, I have uh, many different backgrounds that are in the same situation, architecture, and I've worked in automotive advertising. So I know about the automotive industry. And then I obviously did visual effects and my interest in virtual production and all of those things. So it was, and digital humans. So, so there was a little bit of everything for me. There was like a kid at a candy store going, oh, I can go to any one of these talks and it's all going to be great. And it, what was also nice about it is I didn't feel like I was missing out on anything because you did allow it to sort of happen all simultaneously. Uh, it was a really great conference and I still, I'm very much looking forward to November as well. But what is it about real time do you think that was, that suddenly now is the time that real time is becoming important in things that are not just video games, that are other parts of things? What is it, what is it that's making it special uh, at this time? Well, the, the, there's obviously an acceleration of time, uh, mm -hmm. and it, it's 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 coming a, for it's coming from a long, long way. This was for me. It's fascinating. It's been almost forty years that I've well, forty years actually that mm -hmm. I've been uh, had the pleasure to 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 roam these uh, these these worlds, and. I could see it coming from day one, basically. So I was mentioning the importance of these beginnings and seeing these communities which were doing things very, very differently. And I, I kind of knew that they would have at some point to, to converge. And when I was looking at the time it was, it was taking to calculate images, uh, to render an image, for a movie, and when I was looking at the game people uh, prototyping games with tools which were extremely fast, and of course there were an abyss between the, the, the quality of the image and the weight of each image was not at all the same. And, and the game people have been in a way privileged by the limitations of the machines. It gave them a, a huge advantage because they had so many constraints that they had to invent things algorithm and tools which would be ex extremely light. And um, when the, the movie people didn't have at all this concern, you just had to have a bigger render farm and that was it, and buy more machines and buy more processors and more power, and that was it. It was, they had no, not this constraint. So I believe the game people were extremely privileged uh, having this kind of constraint. Uh, remember the ZX81, 2K of memory. 
Yeah, that was my first computer, I think, when I was. Yeah. Yes, yes. So how do you? And there were there were flight simulators. Yes. From the DKT one, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> pretty challenging to play, you know, very yes. difficult not to crash landing yeah. your plane. <laughs> and so, um, and and then there were this move, this this evolution, and it was taking less and less time to calculate heavier and heavier images. And in the meantime, the game world had access to more and more powerful machines. So suddenly, and you remember the CD-ROM, you remember uh, the blue, the, you know, all these discs and, and the, like the video pack Philips or, or this, these machines like that, or even some arcade games using, using discs, where suddenly you had this capacity of storage. Um, and then instead of days, it was hours to calculate the images, and instead of hours, it was minutes, and then it was seconds, and then it becomes uh, milliseconds, and mm -hmm. and then here you are, and uh, and the flexibility of the tools, the tools which have been designed for for, for to create games, uh, obviously thinking about Unreal, uh, have been adapted so well and. Uh, so in a, such a beautiful manner uh, to, to, to cope with the needs of the movie industry. And then we started seeing, and, and with David Moran as a, as a flag bearer of virtual production, we started, I remember David coming to Thomas and I in 2008 or something like this, saying virtual production, you should do something about virtual production. The same way that Christoph Harry, 10 years before, mm -hmm. in 2003, came to me and when I was running Imaginar and said, Jean-Michel, digital humans, you know, there are these mm -hmm. small conference in the in Sosalito, or I don't know exactly where mm -hmm. on the West Coast, which is started. And I was thinking, wow, that's super cool. We should have that at Imaginar. And we built this, this, the first event about digital humans with mm -hmm. Christophe at Imaginar, probably in 2003, maybe even before. Uh, right. Sorry, this is New York, alarms, okay. <laughs> ambulances. Um, and, and so, so real time is, is, is needed. It, it's, it's exactly for me the same phenomenon where we, we saw the first hypertext uh, capacities. Uh, mm -hmm. I remember the first press conference where, uh, the people from Le, Le Robert, Le Petit Robert, Le Robert, which is this dictionary, French dictionary, mm -hmm. which is 10 volumes, beautiful piece showing us that, okay, this is a program and you can look for, uh, we can enter three words, three keywords, and it will find the, the excerpt of a poem uh, that you are looking for. And it will give you the author and it will give you the date and it will give you some, and it was just, ah, oh, oh, this is amazing. And mm -hmm. um, so you see all of these steps are leading to uh, the fact that what you see is what you get. You want to have an immediate feedback plus this acceleration of time, plus the acceleration of rhythm, the acceleration of rhythm in the song, the acceleration of rhythm in the, in the, in the movies. We, it's difficult for us to see movies from the 50s or, or 60s. They are too slow. It's not the way we are not educated anymore. It has to go fast, you know. In the, in the song industry, it was, there were surveys showing that uh, 20, 30 years ago, uh, it was absolutely okay to have a musical in introduction which was lasting 30 seconds. 
Now, as of today, it's impossible. You cannot have a musical in- only a music instrument only introduction. You have to step immediately as soon as possible into the song itself. You know, mm-hmm. so time is shortening. And, That's the TikTok uh, culture, uh, right? So. <laughs> Yes, yeah. yes. So this, this, uh, and the video game as uh, community industry has been contributing to things. When you push the thing, you want an immediate result, and this is why all these streaming uh, questions are so important, uh, and latency uh, questions are so important. But it will be solved, and then you will get immediately what the the, the, the virtual character will uh, will will follow the movement and. and uh, Look at what Matt Workman is doing, presenting on YouTube every week mm-hmm. and playing with Unreal on MetaHuman and, and showing how does... And, and in 10 years from now, we will look at... In five years from now, in three years from now, we will look at this and, oh, look, it was only three years ago. Oh, my God, it gives the feeling that it's been 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and uh, so we, we are getting there and we are super privileged. I believe we are, we are part of a generation which is extremely privileged because we had the chance to be there at the beginning of this revolution. Yeah. When I started as a journalist, my dad told me, Jean-Michel, you have to learn how to use the typewriter machine. Clack, 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 clack. And you have to train on an old machine. You don't train on an electric one. You train on a traditional one because you will see that in the, in the newspapers, in the magazine that you will work in the future, you will not have access to modern equipment. You will have access to old machines. So better train to learn how to type. And I politely, as a good kid, learn how to type on a mechanic machine, and would give me a lot of dexterities now with the computer. <laughs> and and, and uh, we have to, we, we are so privileged to have seen this evolution, to have seen this revolution after revolution after revolution. And, and there's always a new wave, which is more powerful than the following one. There were the wave of video games, the wave of wave of visual effects, there were a wave of virtual reality, and now there's a wave of real time. And, uh, and as long as you stay on your board and you don't fall and you are interested in looking for the next wave, it's okay. Life is good. Right. Excellent. Well, okay, let's, t- let's talk a little bit quickly. We're nearing the end, but I'd love to ho- hold a, a little idea of what's going on in November, which is, sounds very exciting. And if you can give us a little idea of what that's going to be like and then also let people know how they can continue to follow you and follow all the amazing things that you guys are doing. Yes. So basically, to follow us, it's easy. You go on the website, www.realtimeconference.com, and then you will find all kind of hashtags uh, to follow up on LinkedIn, to follow up on Twitter, to follow up on Facebook, on Instagram, etc., etc. Uh, if you want, you can subscribe to our newsletter, uh, and then that's a very good way to stay on top of, uh, of what we are doing. So this is a good way. November, the dates are November 15, 16, and 17. So this is Monday, a Tuesday, and a Wednesday. Three days in a row, 16 hours per day of live show. As uh, for the last April event, we take the floor at 5 a.m. So it's an interesting rhythm. You know, I wake up at 2.30 a.m. in the morning. At 3.30, I leave my place. At 4 a.m., I'm in the studio. At 5 a.m., we take the floor until 9 p.m., and then at 9 p.m., time to day makeup, to change suits, you know, and uh, to uh, say goodbye to everybody. 
go back home to try to take a shower, eat something quickly, go to bed by 11 or 2.30, you start again, and at 3 a.m., <laughs> three days in a row, it's an interesting, it's an interesting experience. You did it well, though. So, you do it well. <laughs> We do well. We love it. Yeah. Uh, and it's this live, exciting thing. It's in real time. It's live. And it has to be live. Uh, it's, you know, there's no pre-recorded session. And it shows. And there are real-time live demos. And sometimes the real-time live demos are not working exactly the way it should be. But it's absolutely okay. Because we are, all know what it is about. It's not this polished thing, pre-recorded, uh, which are very sweet, very nice, very kind. All kind of advantages of doing the pre-recorded. Record it. I really understand that. No risk involved, or you limit the risk and you polish your message. But real time, it's alive, and and uh, there's a whole it's a whole world between a live show with everything which can happen and uh, pre-recorded where everything is more polished. So uh, a live show, 16 hours per day, and you know the theme of April was the rise of the metaverse. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to discuss the creation of the metaverse and, and specifically with architects. You know, architects are designing the world that we are living in, but they are also designing the, the virtual world that we are more and more living in. Um, so we were discussing the rise of the metaverse and we will follow uh, the, the theme in November with the rise of the metaverse, colon, populating the metaverse. And we will interest ourselves into this topic of avatars. Um, and by avatars, uh, we mean not only of physical avatars, I mean human, digital twins, digital doubles, etc. How do we project ourselves? How do we create virtual, multiple virtual identities in virtual worlds? Uh, but we will also explore how brands can project themselves in the, in the, in the metaverse. How do, can they create an, an identity, a virtual identity? Uh, this was the, the theories, series of talks and panels about digital fashion, fashion was, was interesting in this regard. You know, mm-hmm. having Balenciaga showing how they create a game and how they create a virtual space to impersonate. Because when you are Balenciaga, when you are Louis Vuitton, when you are all these brands, you impersonate yourself by advertising, by stores, by the design of your stores, uh, etc. How d- does it happen in virtual worlds? You know, how do you create an, an, an avatar of your brand into this uh, into this thing? We will have a strong focus, as always, on virtual production and the integration of real-time tools in workflows. This is an endless topic, uh, and there's so much to be done to implement these tools into the, the workflows. So no comment on that right now. We don't have the time. That would be another podcast, but I'm sure that sure. a lot of people much more competent than I am um, can talk about this and already discussed about it. So we'll keep going into this. We will um, um, have a focus uh, on NFTs, I think, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, you would be better placed to talk about it because <laughs> you will be the curator and the host of this specific series of talks. Uh, and I will give you the floor a few minutes so you can explain what you have in mind regarding these NFTs. Uh, let's switch roles. <laughs> let me interview the interviewer. Uh, and we will, um, we will have also, um, the, we will create a new, a new space. I'm, I'm still uh, toying with the idea, still wondering how to do this. But uh, you remember when I was running FMX, I created the uh, closed door CEO summit. 
Mm -hmm. And basically, we were bringing together in one room 30 executives and CEOs, a brainstorming thing for three hours. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, Christopher was talking with Victoria Alonso, who was talking with uh, William Sargent, who was talking with, and uh, under the guidance of Eric Roth and uh, my Mm -hmm. friend Dave Gouget. And uh, and, uh, we we are brainstorming about the possibility to create the same thing uh, during real-time conference and to create the real-time economics forum, which would focus on these issues of money, business, uh, strategies. As you know, a lot of uh, studios are uh, thinking very hard at the moment how to transition from a, a former model to the new model. Uh, and a lot of studios are still working in, in a traditional, what I would call traditional ways uh, mm-hmm. for many reasons. So the teams are trained and uh, the shifting uh, from linear to real time is much more complex uh, than it looks like. Uh, but still, uh, they are all brainstorming and working extremely hard. How do we transition? And so having a, a specific forum which would uh, allow some of the decision makers uh, who are working on the strategy of the studios for the next two, three, five years to come together could be, uh, could be interesting. Uh, we will have different segments about architecture, about health again, uh, about automotive. Uh, you know, the, the challenge for us is really, it's relatively easy to build a series of talks devoted to each of these communities and to explore how real-time is impacting each of these uh, communities. It's much more challenging to create the bridges between the communities. And we will explore a new format, uh, which would be probably more like on the fireside chat or the roundtable format instead of panels on presentation, which would give the possibility maybe for two people only to talk together about a specific topic. And then you could have a digital fashion specialist talking to a VFX person. You could have a meta-human creator uh, talking to an automotive engineer and exploring how your work is impacting my work and vice versa. So right. this is what we are what we are uh, working on at the moment, and uh, there will be much more uh, if you if if uh, you if some people are interested and if some people are interested in joining the conversation as well, uh, feel free to reach out. And more mm-hmm. specifically, uh, we are uh, really extremely careful about uh, bringing as many women uh, to have as much as possible diversity. Uh, and these are keywords for us, and it's not just because of uh, uh, of, of uh, mood or, or a trend at the moment. We are extremely serious about it. So we are uh, we are really trying to. I was dreaming about having a real time conference which would be women only, but it's challenging. And yeah. uh, it's really challenging, but who knows? We we will see if we if we could reach at least a balance between men and women, and uh, to have people from all over the world, which is the beauty of also of a virtual event, which is also something which is possible. I'm very proud that we have 112 countries represented, 
And sometimes yeah. it's only a couple of people who are at the far end of Azerbaijan. But mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. I mean, still, these people would probably never have a chance to come to SIGGRAPH, never have a chance exactly. to come to, to GDC or whatever. And suddenly they can be virtually on the LED stage in LA and, uh, and in, uh, in contact with the virtual space. We have still a few minutes left. Tell us about yeah. NFTs at Real Time. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I think people who have listened to, the, to, to my podcast know that I definitely have gone down the deep dive of NFTs and figured a lot of things out. And actually, I've been talking a lot about it with another one of the curators for the Real Time Conference, Alex Coulomb. Uh, and Alex and I have been talking about this quite a bit. And we know that there is, you know, the metaverse itself is going to have to think about a different economy and have to think about how that things are happening in that area and and how how goods are exchanged, virtual goods of some kinds, and what that implication is, because there is going to be someone that, you know, when you quote unquote live in the metaverse or the, the, the part of you that lives in the metaverse will need to, to, to buy and sell goods just like any other uh, place that you live in, in the world. So... Uh, the NFTs are going to be becoming an important part of things, and there, there's a lot of misinformation about them, uh, uh, and some some of it is correct and some of it is not, but I think there needs to be a healthy discussion about it, and I think the more people understand it, understand what you know, crypto is, uh, there, there is good and bad of all of it, uh, and if we have a good group of people to discuss that, then it will start to make sense about what the metaverse is not just some place to chat with your friends. It's actually a place where you can conduct business. So, uh, and I think that's going to be an interesting thing uh, and a creative thing as well. And the NFT world is an interesting one, and I think it's become obviously a huge uh, topic. Uh, and it's had a spike, and it's gone definitely down in some ways, and that's actually not a bad thing, uh, and that's actually a very good thing because it balances uh, the pendulum. Uh, but now I think by, no by November, you'll start to see that this is something that could, could be really interesting, and I have some uh, interesting people to, to, to bring to the conversation. And I'm bringing it to many different places, but I think a real-time conference has got a, a, an interesting uh, place to talk about that for sure. Specifically in the real-time economics for exactly, <laughs> yes, yeah. You know, the people there. There is definitely a place where you buy and sell things, and so I think that that's something that could yes. be definitely very interesting. Well, this has been fascinating, uh, Jean-Michel. Thank you so much for being part of this. Uh, uh, well, I, thank you. It was great to hear the whole the whole story and your background and the forty years uh, has led to to us here. And I'm sure we will have many more years together that we can uh, learn from all of the amazing people that you always bring to the stage. So, thank you so much for being part of that. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs>